This week on Rotten or Righteous, we ask the question: Isn't 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 it Harry? His brother's Harry, right? No, not it's Henry. Henry. Is that it? I don't know what Harry? it is. I changed it to Harry and Henry seventy-eight times in this thing. Yeah, I, I'm almost certain Whatever. it's Harry. Harry, Henry, you get it, okay? It's an H name. Use your imagination. I'm not perfect. <laughs> Unacceptable. If you if, if you want if you want good podcasting that gets the names right, listen to something else. <laughs> what is George having Bain's a breakdown? Listen, what are you you want you two idiots? You guys write the synopsis, dude. From now on. Hey, it's it's you're Harry. Welcome back to Rotten and Righteous, the C student of podcasting. With me today, as always, he sits around here and he spins his little webs and he thinks the whole world revolves around him and his money. Well, it doesn't, Mr. Taylor. In the whole vast configuration of things, I'd say you are nothing but a scurvy little spider named Luke Taylor. Oh, now I'm sad. <laughs> wow. I what quit. an introduction. <sighs> depressed uh, see you always get the nice one too i can't wait to hear mine i may cry <laughs> and of course we also have where's that money you silly stupid old fool where's that money do you realize what this means it means bankruptcy and scandal in prison that's what it means one of us is going to jail and it's not going to be me it's going to be scott judge <sighs> three cots and a hot what? <laughs> well, it's usually three hots and a cot, but I'm a big man, so I need three cots, and they're going to cut me back to lose weight. I'll be having one hot. Okie dokie. <laughs> and me, I'm an old man, and most people hate me. But I don't like them either. Amen. So that makes us all even. I'm Zach Geiler. Continuing with our theme of holiday movies that one of us has never seen before, this week we watched the holiday classic, It's a Wonderful Life. The real classic. There's something wrong with George Bailey. And the whole town of Bedford Falls knows it. Not knowing how to help poor George, the town turns to God in prayer. The small town's prayers fall on the ears of two angels, Franklin and Joseph. And these two have been dreading this night for a long time. You see, the angels know that George Bailey... Is about to kill himself. So because they're getting all these <laughs> prayers, the angels decide that they need to send a guardian angel down to George to intervene. Unfortunately, uh, the guardian angel who's up is a mentally challenged angel named Clarence, who's too busy uh, worried about what he's going to wear and reading his Tom Sawyer book. Uh, <laughs> what? He's not mentally challenged? He, they say... That's not true. One of the angels say, literally says that Clarence has the IQ of a rabbit. <laughs> Rabbits can't talk. But despite having the IQ of a rabbit, uh, the, the two angels, Franklin and Joseph, tell Clarence that if, he, if he's able to help George uh, to not off himself that night, then Clarence will finally get his wings. <laughs> With that, the two more powerful angels get to work preparing Clarence by teaching them all about the life of George Bailey. 
For 10TV News, I'm Johnny Rains. need you to get some excitement about this podcast, Zach. Hey, a group of boys are sledding down a hill onto a frozen lake on top of some snow shovels, because why not? I can imagine that. Riding down a hill on a snow shovel with the handle straight up between your legs, that had to have resulted into several uh, unfortunate incidents with those poor young children. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it seems like you'd want it behind you. Bad things are going to come from that. You got to steer. You got to steer with that, though. I've done this before, actually. Of course you did. Have you really? Yeah, because yeah. Luke grew up in 1920s America. I sure did. I basically grew up watching this movie every day, so... I feel like you... We were like, well, what are we going to sled on? Well, a shovel, obviously. I feel like you lived on, like, this weird little bubble on the outskirts of Columbus that if you visited, you'd be like, is that a living historical house? Like, are they... Are they trying to teach us about history? Because you and your brothers would be like 16 years old chasing a hoop down the street while pushing it with a stick. (laughs) (laughs) We weren't allowed to play Game Boy. Come along, my brother. Come play Hoopy Sticky with me. Hoopy Sticky. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they're sledding down this hill and George Bailey is calling his brother Henry a scare baby. Come on, you big scare baby! I, I've heard of a crybaby. I've heard of a scaredy cat. I've never <laughs> once heard of a scare baby until tonight. <sighs> to prove that uh, he's not a scare baby, old Henry goes tearing down the hill and ends up flying past the other boys. He stops only when a thin section of ice breaks. And old Henry takes an unsolicited polar plunge. George dive in, or, George dives in and <laughs> saves Henry's life, but the heroic act caused George's left ear to become infected so badly that permanent hearing loss resulted. It was weeks before George was able to get back to his job, working for the local pharmacist, Old Man Gower. For, Ted, Gower. for 10 TV reporting, I'm Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> You're Mr. Gower. Well, I'm not Mr. Gower. I don't know how they were able to get that man to shove all those marbles in his mouth and still kind of make sense of what he was saying. That was talent. Soon, George is manning the drugstore soda fountain when the future town hussy Violet walks up and buys two cents worth of shoelaces because that was something you could do, apparently. I was trying to think about this. I'm, I, me too. I me like, too. Would, for a long why, time, I've been trying to Why would to you buy shoelaces? You know, but if you didn't have any electronics, like, think of all the things you could do with shoelaces, like, as a toy. You could do a lot of stuff with shoelaces. I, I just want to know how much two cents worth of shoelaces bought. How much two cents bought you as far as shoelaces was concerned. I, I think that's what I'm going to do the next time I go to a drive-thru somewhere. I'm going to order two cents of shoelaces and some grandma snacks. <laughs> what? In, what? I'm going to regret this question. What is a grandma? Oh, there's nothing. What's a grandma? There's nothing what's, more. What's a grandma snack? Oh, a grandma. Well, it'd just be a snack <laughs> that grandma would eat. I mean, it could be a banana or an apple. could be a pear. 
Maybe a little bag of gummy fruit. Uh, you you got it in early, guys. Scott's one comment for podcast. <laughs> he got it in early. Have you ever eaten divinity? Do you know what that is? Uh, no, but I ate the book hey. Revelation once. <laughs> Didn't your grandma ever make that powdered sugar cookie thing? It's called they, my grandma called it divinity, and it's not it's not good. Sometimes it has nuts in it, but it's like a lump of powdered sugar that's been oh, solidified. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, another little girl, Mary, orders some chocolate ice cream. George wants to know if she wants coconuts. When Mary says she doesn't like coconuts, George just straight up verbally berates this young lady and her unsophisticated palate. As he pulls out a National Geographic from his back pocket that explains all about the origins of coconuts. I thought about this too. I've seen this movie a couple times this week. I like to imagine that George has had that magazine in his back pocket for weeks. Just waiting for somebody to deny coconut. Just waiting for someone to say, no, no coconut please, I don't like it. Well, let me tell you about coconut. Smack right down the table. As George bends down to scoop some cream... Mary's whispers in his deaf ear that she loves George. George pops up again, unknowing the bombshell that Mary just dropped, and told the young lady of his future plans. He says that he's going to go out exploring someday. You watch, and I'm going to have me a couple of harems, maybe three or four wives. That was that was an interesting line. You know, that's I mean, that was every little. It's good to have goals. Every little boy's dream: a harem, three or four wives. Really? Oh, yeah. I've never wished that in my life. No, it sounds way too complicated. <laughs> and just to prove that he's... Hey. Th- th- what drives me nuts about this is just to prove that he's the most sexist boy alive, he proceeds to adorn the young Mary's ice cream with, like, six heaping scoopfuls of coconut. She just said she didn't <laughs> like coconut. So what does he do? He gives her all the coconut. All the coconut in the shop. He goes next door to the 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 rival drugstore bars some coconut grabs coconut out of there goes back just dumps it on top of her ice cream no wonder she's just sitting around there the rest of the day she's trying to eat her poor chocolate ice cream around this coconut come on George you're better than that meanwhile old man Gower blinded by grief over his recently passed son is filling a prescription George is told to deliver it but when the boy inspects the workstation of the druggist he suspects that Gower accidentally filled the capsules with poison. Why is there just a jar labeled poison on the counter? <laughs> That's in every pharmacy. Yeah, every time I go into CVS, get my prescription, I look over and I say, oh, there, there it is. There's the, <laughs> there's the poison. <laughs> it doesn't say what kind of poison. It's just, that, there's the poison right there. <laughs> and I always say to the lady waiting on me, hey, don't get my meds mixed up with the poison. Uh, George runs to his father's building and loan office to ask for advice when he's there or when he gets there Paul Bailey is being dressed down by Scrooge McDuck's wheelchair bound human doppelganger Mr. Potter Mr. Potter I'm going to go ahead and repeat that again because neither one of you truly appreciated Scrooge McDuck's wheelchair bound human doppelganger (laughs) It was good. One more time. Just it's taste it on your on your palate. Let it wash over you. Okay. Scrooge McDuck. I'm gonna over 
wheelchair-bound human doppelganger. <laughs> uh, that was a good one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Give me a minute. I got to calm Scrooge, down. Scrooge Ganger, homemade grown Cooper and Bailey. That's funny. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> no need to say it. We're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> He's smiling on the outside, but on the inside, it's not pretty. <laughs> Serial killer. Go ahead and proceed, Mr. Koresh. I just want to get through this. I know you do, and I'm not helping. No, you're not. <sighs> Go ahead. So, uh, Potter's ticked that old Bailey isn't collecting debt on poor out-of-work people. And Potter doesn't want to give these poor people more time. And George has had just enough of Potter speaking to his father so meanly. So he physically assaults the handicapped man and leaves his father's office without asking about the poison pills. Later, Gower receives a call that the medicine uh, hadn't been delivered. But before George can explain that he expects that the drugs would have had severe unintended side effects, the druggist just slaps the taste right out of George's mouth. He took a whooping. I mean, good. Yeah, he only took more than a whooping. Good night. Just now George is deaf in one ear and he has a perpetual cauliflower. Cauliflower <laughs> ear propping up. He's he's not. <laughs> You're hurting my. I tell you what. You're hurting my sore ear. I'll hit your sore ear. Well, jeez, Mr. Gower. Holy child abuse, Batman. You do that today, you're losing your pharmacy license and doing 10 to 20 in a big house. My biggest question is, is how hard do you have to hit somebody to have their ear just explode in a bloody flow? But, uh, you know, George, weeping, explains to Mr. Gower that the pills were poisoned. And this explanation finally gets the druggist to realize his mistake. And he hugs George because that makes up for the severe child abuse slash trauma that George just endured. It's true repentance. True repentance. And then George promises not to tell anyone about Gower's mistake because George knows snitches get stitches. <laughs> Hey, and that town can't survive without a pharmacy. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our 50th Snitches Get Stitches reference in the past 33 episodes. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think we were going to make it there, guys, but boy, how he did. But we did. Ten years in the future, George Bailey is buying a, a big bag for a European trip that he has coming up. And he's also going to use it to go to college. The pharmacist, Mr. Gower, was in there before and bought George a nice leather tote and even had it personalized. Because Mr. Gower knows that if George ever opens his mouth, he's going to lose everything. Snitches get stitches. After thanking Mr. Gower in person, George strolls through the town. His Uncle Billy is shouting his goodbyes from the building and loan office. And Officer Bert and cab driver Ernie, no relation to the Sesame Street duo, stop and talk for a little while. And that's true. I looked that up. 
Because uh, when at the end of the movie, when he's like, Bert, Ernie, don't you know me? Dang it, I was saving my Stuart impersonation. I'm going to have to cut that out. But yeah, it's an urban myth that uh, Jim Henson got the names Bert and Ernie from this movie. That's not true. What if he just didn't claim it? No, it, 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 they said explicitly that it wasn't. It was just a coincidence. Sounds like that's plagiarism he, to me. Yeah, that's what he says. Of course no, the creators... This was all original. Everyone involved knows that it was a coincidence. Except for Luke. Okay. I'm not so sure. As Bert, Ernie, and George, as they're chatting, uh, George asks... Ernie for a, a ride home in his cab, but before he can get in, a full-grown and attractive Violet walks by. Yes, she and does. Nobody's thinking about two-cent shoelaces anymore. This is what I really finally realized that this movie's going to be okay. It's because she's walking across the street, this old man just stops and turns around to stare at her as she walks and just always gets hit by a car. Right, right yeah. there. And then, uh, then Ernie asks Bert, if he wants a ride uh, in his cab, he'll jump the town. And Bert goes, no thanks. And I think I need to go home and see what my wife's doing. <laughs> I didn't pick that yeah. up. <laughs> to which Ernie responds, family man. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well played, movie. That's funny. <laughs> did you pick that up, Luke? Yeah, I did. I missed I'm... that. I don't... Well, good for, good for Bert going home and... <laughs> Checking all the wife. Had to, he had to get his mind right. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I need to just I need to go home and, and see my kids play in the backyard for a little while. Uh, but George makes it home where Paul Bailey is reading the paper for dinner. It's Harry's graduation night, and after sexually assaulting the African-American housekeeper, Harry borrows the Patriarch's car to bring some plates over to his party. George and Paul have a nice little chat. Paul asks if George would be interested in working at the building and loan office once he graduates school. George says, nah, he'd rather eat his hat than stay in Bedford Falls. Mm -hmm. Later that night, George is reintroduced to the grown-up Mary, the coconut-hating little girl from his drugstore days. After jitterbugging into a pool... That was pretty awesome. Who had a pool back then? Bedford Falls was just... It was upstate New York. Uh, yeah. George walks the robe-adorned Mary home. On the way, they just stop to deface private property by throwing stones through an abandoned home and making wishes that are conditional on whether or not their rocks breaks panes of glass. Ah, the good old days. George wishes that he's able to leave Bedford Falls and have a nice European adventure before going to college and spending his life building skyscrapers. But when Mary refuses to tell George her wish... He goes into what may be the most famous speech in modern American cinema. What is it you want, Mary? What do you what What do you want? You want the moon? <laughs> just, say, just say the word, and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. <laughs> hey, that's a good, a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. Well, then you can swallow it, and, and it'll dissolve, see, and, and the moonbeams will shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Following the speech, George proceeds to put the moves on Mary to satiate the perverted appetite of a late-night peeping Tom. But, but Mary dodges George's sexual advances by diving into a hydrangea bush. After some problematic, albeit playful, sexual harassment, George is called over by a car full of men. They've been looking for him, 
His father had a stroke, and George needs to come home immediately. Playful, playful sexual harassment. I mean, I laughed at it. She's she's She jumps in the bush. She leaves her robe behind. So she is naked in this bush. And instead of just giving yes. the robe to her, George's like, well, you don't get this opportunity every day, Mary. <laughs> He's right. So, yeah, Mary's in this bush naked. And, and he does say some funny things. Mary's like, I'll tell my, my, I'll tell your mom. And he's like, well, she's all the way up there on the corner. <laughs> well, I'll call the, I'll call the police. Well, they're all the way across the town. And they'll probably take my side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, months pass. And it turns out that George misses his European vacation to handle his father's affairs after his dad dies in order to keep the building and loan afloat. There's a board meeting to discuss the future of Bailey's building and loan. Potter wants to shut down the operation for good because it doesn't make any money, but George stands up for his father's business and his father's practices of helping the poor get a decent loan so they can afford to build a house. His speech convinces the board not to shut down the business with one condition. George has to lasso the moon so they can all swallow it and have moonbeams shoot out of their fingers and toes. More on this story tonight at 11. No, uh, uh, they, they're not going to shut down the, the, the building and loan as long as George Bailey stays on as the chief sec- financial secretary. Uh, overcome by his sense of duty, George agrees and sends Harry to college in his place. Four years later, not Harry. Overcome by his sense of duty, George agrees and sends Henry to college in his place. Four years later, Henry is coming home from school. George has been waiting for this day because Henry can take over the savings and loans, and George can finally have his long-awaited adventure. However, when Henry returns, he brings with him a new wife. And the wife's father offered Harry a good job. Not wanting his brother to miss out on this opportunity, George resigns himself to continue working at the building alone. That night, at a homecoming party for Henry, George's mother tells her son that Mary was back home from school. George reluctantly agrees to stop in for a visit, despite the fact that Mary is currently dating George's old pal Sam. On the way there, he's approached by Violet, he asks Violet on an impromptu date of hiking barefoot through a field. Violet is appalled at the, at the thought of getting her feet dirty. <laughs> and then, like, 50 men show up out of nowhere to laugh at George. This this is the only thing that really bugged me, because I'm trying to figure it out. George is, Violet's, like, flirting with these two guys. And she's like, just a second, boys. I'm going to go see if I get me a date with that tall piece of George Bailey. That's my sexy walking music. It's not really sexy outside of uh, Albuquerque. But in Albuquerque, they just find that very attractive. Um, And so, yeah, she slinks up to George. George's like, hey there, Violet. You want to go get your... Go walk barefoot in a field? Violet's like, no. And then, like, 15 dudes surround him and just all pointing and laughing. Have you ever asked a woman to walk barefoot in a field? No. Have you, Luke? No. 
I mean, I can't imagine even even 80 years ago asking a girl if she wants to walk barefoot in the field. I mean, you've got snakes, you've got critters, you could lose. And you got varmints. Don't forget the varmints. <laughs> but seriously, guys, neither one of you have attempted to answer my question. Where did these guys come from that were pointing and laughing at George Bailey? They weren't there in the little. They're, all the, they're all the guys who want to hit up Violet. Exactly. They were out chasing the skirt. <laughs> and they're gonna laugh at him because he got he just got turned down. And that gives them hope. Uh, a sulking George makes his way to Mary's house. After Mary's mother asks what George wants with Mary, and Mary responds, he's making violent love to me, mother. <laughs> that right there. That's probably my favorite line in the whole movie. Because I, I, I'm sure Luke has not had this situation. But a lot of people have been in situations he's where you got a girl with you, and you're like on the front porch or whatever, and your parents are like, what are you doing? I would have never said that to my parents. No, I want to know if this is where Luke got violent love from last week. Or from the Ten Commandment episode, where he was supposed to... No, I actually... Maybe subconsciously, but no, okay. I did not um, make that Because this is the second reference to violent love in the past three weeks that we will make. So, Rotten or Righteous, your one-stop shop for violent love. Violent love. Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. Violent love. Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> oh. Now, George is... is <laughs> this right here may possibly be the dumbest show we've oh, I, I, Yeah, and, and so <laughs> Yeah, so Mary's mom calls down and asks George what he wants, and Mary just goes, he's making violent love to me, mother. To which George leaves, uh, embarrassed. Uh, but he returns quickly for his hat. Uh, uh, so he comes back in for his hat. Now Mary gets a phone call from her beau at the time, old Sam. He's calling from New York. Now, Sam doesn't seem that concerned that George is with Mary... Nor does Sam seem to be missing out on female attention in the city. Because in his little cameo, Sam's got like three different girls grabbing for him while he's trying to make this phone call. Yep. So it's fine. Sam's a Sam's a But player. you know what? He's a good guy because he calls George and tells him, hey, you need to invest all your money in the ground floor of this newfangled product that's going to be coming out made out of soybeans called plastic. That's never going to take off. He believed that. He believed plastic was going to be something big. It's crazy thinking. But uh, George is too busy sniffing Mary's hair <laughs> with with that big old nose that he's got uh, while Sam is offering him the chance of a lifetime. And the tension is growing between Mary and George as this conversation goes on. But George looks at Mary and sees just another hurdle placed in his escape route from Bedford Falls. And so he says to Mary, Now, now you listen to me. I don't, I don't want any plastics. I don't want any ground floors. And I don't want to get married, ever, to anyone. You understand that? I want to do what I want to do, and you're... And so they naturally just start kissing for a bit. They <laughs> start kissing. <laughs> I mean, there was only one 
logical conclusion to that whole conversation. <laughs> my favorite is he grabs her by the shoulder. He's, he's her like late onset shaken baby syndrome. Like, I don't want to get married, Mary. <laughs> what don't you get about that? Mary's sitting there bawling her eyes out and they just make out for a little while. <laughs> I feel like that relationship could have used a little bit more development. No, but I, I, listen, I, they I were running it. long on time. So yeah, they're making out, much to Mary's mother's disgust. And uh, the next thing you know, it's George and Mary's wedding day. They're about to go on their honeymoon with the $2,000 they had gifted. Uh, or, yeah, a banking crisis occurs. Potter has taken over the bank that guarantees the B&L loans and has called in the loans. So now the, the bonds that these people have are basically useless and they have to get the money. Out of, out of the B&L, it took me a long time to figure out what was going on. He didn't do a very good job explaining this. They have to be able to buy off the bonds if the people want the bonds taken or bought off. And if they run out of money before the end of the day, then they are in bankruptcy. And Potter can take them over. And Which has been his long desire. And so, in order to avoid losing his customers... George, out of the kindness of his heart, pays uh, or gives out small $20 loans, or in one case, $17.50 loans. With a, with a big kiss. Uh, in order to just keep it afloat. And they make it. They have $2. They have a mama dollar and a papa dollar. And if we want to stay in business, you two better have kids in a hurry. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, George uses honeymoon money to save his B&L, but that means that he can't go on his trip again. Again, the B&L gets in the way of his life. That's the, uh, building and loans, B&L. But their friends, Ernie, the cabbie, and Bert, the policeman, still arrange for Mary and George to have a cut-rate honeymoon. At a house that they just bought, which just so happened to be the old house that they threw rocks at several years before. And Bert and Ernie even serenade the newlyweds outside in the rain. Which Such had to have moment. been one of the most awkward moments of Bert and Ernie's life. Yeah. They didn't stay around. How, who, no, they stayed around longer than they needed to. <laughs> that silhouette got closer and closer. <laughs> um, hey there, Bert. Uh, I think we should probably go away. Oh, Ernie, let's just stay around for a little bit longer. Uh, okay, Bert, I just don't feel right about this. Hey, here's my question. How was she able to purchase the house without him knowing? First of all, we don't even know they bought this house. As far as we're concerned, yeah, they just moved like in and nobody said anything. Well, that could be the case, I it guess. It could have been one of those things where the town owned the house and, like, they symbolically sold the house to her for a dollar because they just didn't want it anymore. Yeah. Well, but then she only would have had one dollar, and then yeah. that dollar would have had to have been asexual to reproduce. Well, that's what well, you gotta own. understand. When they uh, started cloning dollars, uh, they filled in the gaps in the dollar DNA with frog DNA, and there are some breeds of frogs that are hermaphroditic. They can change their sexes from male and female depending on uh, what they need 
to happen in order to continue their survival of the species. And so what happens is these dollars, they were meant to be all female. But, as Jeff Goldblum said earlier, life finds a way. And so they're able to reproduce and hatch little egg dollars. They're born as pennies, of course, and they grow up into different denominations. And, uh, yeah, welcome to Currency Park. Thank you. I like the octopus stories better. As life continues to go on, George and Mary open Bailey Estates, a housing development that offers good houses at affordable prices. This undercuts Potter's own crummy apartments. The slums, which Potter calls Potter's Field, because what subtlety is not his strong suit. Uh, and because Bailey Estates was undercutting Potter, he became threatened. And so he offers George a job that comes with a large salary and an opportunity to travel. And George, although tempted, is disgusted by everything the old banker stands for and turns Mr. Potter down. George continues to live in Bedford Falls, never getting to travel as his roots grow deeper and deeper into his hometown. He and his wife begin fixing up the old abandoned house and pop out four kids. When World War II breaks out, many of the town's men serve overseas, but George can't even do that because of his bum ear. His brother Harry, nope, his brother Henry, on the other hand, serves admirably and is awarded the Medal of Honor. Henry is coming home on Christmas Eve, and Bedford Falls is pulling out all the stops to throw the war hero a great welcome home party. That morning, Uncle Billy goes to the bank to deposit $8,000 in cash as a bank examiner arrives at the building and loan for a routine audit. While at the bank, Billy sees Potter and proudly shows an article in the paper about Henry to the old banker, but in doing so, Uncle Billy accidentally folds the $8,000 into the paper and hands it to Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter finds the money and watches the panicked Billy search for the missing fat stacks. <laughs> Mr. Potter sucks. This he, he's horrible. Is isn't, isn't, isn't it Harry? His brother's Harry, right? No, Not it's Henry. Henry. Is that it? Is I changed it to Harry and Henry 78 times in this thing. Yeah, I, I'm almost certain Whatever. it's Harry. Harry, Henry, you get it, okay? It's an H name. Use your imagination. I'm not perfect. <laughs> Unacceptable. <laughs> if, you, Holy. If, you want, if you want good podcasting that gets the names right, listen to something else. <laughs> what is George Having Bailey's a breakdown here. Listen, what are you, you want you two idiots, you guys write the synopsis and do it from now on. Hey, it's, it's You're Harry. Harry. So Potter finds the money and watches the panicked Uncle Billy searching for the missing fat stacks. This was the opportunity that Potter had been waiting for. Billy runs back to the building and loans as George is generously giving Violet some of his own money so the, well aging, we'll call her a starlet for lack of a better terms, can start a new life in New York City. The two search everywhere for the money, but to no avail. George is furious, and he picks his uncle up by his lapel and screams that this misplaced money means scandal, bankruptcy, and prison, 
and George isn't going to take the fall for this mistake. Now, I do have want to stop here just real quick. There is a crow in this office that is never spoken about one time. <laughs> There's just a crow chilling out on the counter. Never once does someone say, oh, that's Uncle Billy's crow. Now, I, I and the reason why I think it's Uncle Billy's crow, because during this scene when Billy is just distraught over losing this money, a random squirrel runs up and comforts him. He's like, what, uh, what is going on with White, Bi- Uncle you know? Billy? Why has he got all these rodents in his in his office? No wonder Billy's got some challenges of his own. He needs a friend, Zach. He's got a squirrel, and I'm pretty exactly. sure I saw a monkey in a cage. <laughs> I wish. I want a monkey. I'd love to have a monkey. Are those critters or rodents? Well, you can eat squirrel, so I think they're critters. You can eat crow, too, eh? Oh, yeah, but you shouldn't because okay. uh, crows are the souls of dead people. They are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so George goes home in a terrible mood, uh, where his family is happily decorating for the homecoming party and wearing just the most terrifying Santa masks. She knows that? She knows the Santa masks? The terrifying ones. Dude, they were they were they look like Krampus masks. <laughs> hey, you know, back in that day, you just had to any old Betsy Lou in town was the lady painting the masks, so didn't guarantee she was well, a good Betsy artist. Betsy Lou needed to get some glasses and look at what she was doing and going, Oh my good no. No, these are rumple stiltskin masks. These are goblins. <laughs> This looks like this looks like a bearded Smeagol from the Lord of the Rings. Don't give those to children; they'll have nightmares. And uh, so George goes home grumpy to this perfect family. All the kids are loving and kind, and Mary's just the dream wife. But there's a problem: George's youngest daughter, with the dumbest name imaginable. Zuzu. Zuzu. Is a little bit sick. You heard of the Zoot Suit Riot? Well, if this isn't that. But Zoot Suit kind of sounds like Zuzu. So is that Z-U-Z-U or Z-O-O-Z-O-O? I think it's pronounced Z-S-U-Z-S-U. But when I looked it up, it's Z-U-Z-U. Yeah. Zuzu. And apparently, they got the name from a brand of ginger snaps that were around back in the 40s. Zuzu's Ginger Snaps. Which, when George calls Zuzu at the end of the movie, Oh, I just love you, my little ginger snap. That's what he was referencing. It would be similar to naming your child Oreo today. George goes, Gosh, this old house. Let me try that again. Gosh, this old house. I don't know why we all don't have pneumonia. This drasty old barn might as well be living in a refrigerator. Why do we why do we have to live here in the first place and, and stay around this measly, grummy old town? Everything's wrong. Call this a happy family? Why do we have to have all these kids? I laughed and laughed at that last line. You know how frustrated you gotta be to scream, why do we have to have all these kids in front of your four children? <laughs> That's horrible. It's just that's a bad day right there. 
That, that's one of those, Daddy didn't mean it, kids. Daddy's real sorry about this. <laughs> do, do you want the moon? I'll get you the moon if you just stop crying. Of course I want you. That's, that's 15 kids years on Maury. Oh, my dad said he didn't want me. But uh, George George goes and checks on Zuzu, and he sees that his little girl won a flower at school. And uh, some of the rose petals fell off, and Zuzu wants him to paste them back on. But instead, he just sticks them in his pocket and tucks the kid into bed. Luke, I know you don't know this yet, but uh, again, I related to George at that moment. Because my son gets really upset if anything is handed to him out of a package broken. Whether it's a fortune cookie... Or a Pop-Tart, or anything. There have been times where a fortune Why? cookie... Because he's three. You Tell him to be grateful yeah, for Yeah, okay, you tell that has. to a three-year-old. Good luck. Um, I will. Yeah, but he'll be like on the verge of a fit because his fortune cookie comes out broken. And then I just grab it real quick and go, No, 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 don't worry, Daddy will fix it. And I'll just like ruffle the Chinese food bag around a little bit and grab the other fortune cookie down at the bottom praying that it's not broken. He'll be like, oh, look, I fixed it! I'm just going to be like, kid, you better accept this. Suck it up, buttercup. I am want to, uh, before we get too far into this, I want to go back and every comment you make about having a child, I want to save on just a super reel so that when you actually have a kid I'm, and you come and you sit there and go, oh my goodness, I, I, I had to pretend I knew how to fix a pencil. I had to go out in the middle of the night to buy a pencil because he just would not stop crying. Uh, uh, so he tucks Zuzu into bed, and then George blames uh, Zuzu's teacher for Zuzu getting sick because Zuzu was allowed to walk home without her coat buttoned up. And, um, well, Zuzu's teacher calls at that point in time, to which George gives her uh, a piece of his mind, and that escalates to George telling Zuzu's teacher's husband what he thinks of his wife. Which is never, that's not good. He's like, oh, oh, you're her husband, right? Well, good, then I can tell you what I think about her. But after getting off the phone, George then ends his tantrum by personally and individually verbally attacking each member of his family. (laughs) And when... Everybody's gonna share the... And when everyone is heartbroken and quiet, George realizes the air of his ways. Broken, stressed out, and ashamed, George goes out into the cold night to try and save his business. Humiliated, George goes first to Mr. Potter for a loan. Mr. Potter refuses, knowing that the law will see the missing money as fraud and George Bailey will be arrested. But Mr. Potter uses the fact that the only collateral George has to his name is a $500 equity and a life insurance policy as an excuse to deny the loan. And so, truly defeated, George leaves Potter's office to the old curmudgeon laughing and saying truthfully that George is worth more dead than alive. Ouch. And that's why I don't have life insurance. (laughs) That's such great wisdom, Zach. (laughs) Listen, I'm worth more alive than dead, and that ain't much. I'm worth negative $20,000. You take student loans into account. But I'm worth not worth any more debt. <laughs> so dead or alive, you're getting what you get. 
George stops into his old pal Martini's bar to drown his sorrows in some whiskey. Having nowhere else to turn, George prays for God's help. As he finishes his prayer, a man at the bar overhears that George Bailey is sitting next to him and just turns around and slugs him right in the jaw, busting his lip. George exclaims, that's what I get for praying. But yeah, I mean, I can see where George is coming from. Because sometimes when you're down in the dumps, life just takes a big poo on your head right on top of it. Drunk. Defeated. Humiliated, ashamed, and beaten, George Bailey crashes his car into a tree and then stumbles onto a snow-covered bridge. He's preparing to take a fatal plunge into the icy waters below when another man jumps and then screams for help. George dives in after the man, and the two uh, dry off. Or he dives in after the man saves him, and the two dry off in the bridge's toll-taker's shack. <laughs> this guy was fascinating, by the way. He was stunned. He's adorable. Just watching these two communicate. Yeah. But Clarence is adorable. He may be mentally challenged, but he's adorable. Everybody's talking about Clarence. Baby Yoda. I want a little baby Clarence. Real quick, before we go any further, two people in quick succession jump off this bridge and are completely unharmed. In the middle of the water. Um, Probably not the best place to commit suicide. Yeah. <laughs> who, who commits suicide by jumping in a river? Well, I mean, I'd understand jumping off like the Golden Gate Bridge or something. I mean, that's a long fall. Yeah, who's jumping off of a four-foot-high bridge? This <laughs> is going to kill me, Mary. Sorry about this. <laughs> well, see, they could die like- because they... It, that wasn't the end of the movie. It wasn't in the I mean, I just, I just think that if you're yeah, going to kill gun, I mean, they would yourself... It would have been more difficult. Jumping off a snowy bridge isn't the way to go, unless the bridge is pretty high. I mean, there's some bridges in West Virginia you jump off of. Perfect places. Yeah, New River right. Gorge. Nobody had guns, you know, back in the 1940s. Yeah, no, those so... weren't invented until the 50s. That wasn't an option. Had to use your bone yeah, arrow. Yeah, those, those gangsters from the 20s, they were just going around slingshots. Or you had to fall on your sword like Saul. Uh, so the stranger introduces himself as Clarence Oddbody. <laughs> George's guardian angel sent to stop George from killing himself. And George isn't surprised that his guardian angel is wingless in second class. <laughs> <laughs> Makes perfect sense to me! <laughs> I say a prayer to God, I get punched in the do face, guys, do you, and then do, a second-class wingless angel comes do, to do see me. Do you guys me. realize the uh, connection between George or, or Clarence constantly reading Tom Sawyer and this movie? No. no. Tom Sawyer had a no, there's life. a there's a scene in, in the book where um, they're going down the, the Mississippi on their raft, and the raft overturns, and the whole town thinks they're dead. And uh, oh, yeah. then Tom Sawyer is able to go to his own funeral and see what it would be like if he was dead. You know, that was a pretty good movie back in the, must have been the 90s, early 2000s with uh, the one boy from Matrix, yeah. 
the middle boy. Yeah, oh, Tom I thought you were talking about the Matrix. Huh, okay. Uh, yeah. Keanu Reeves was in Tool Time, wasn't he? Who's that? Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves, no. That was uh, your thing, Nicolas Cage. Oh, they were yeah, both Ke- in it Keanu together. and Nicolas Cage. I think uh, Keanu played Al Borland, and Nicolas Cage uh, played Tim. Yeah, I forgot about <laughs> and, that. Uh, yeah, and Albert Brooks played uh, Wilson. That's Finding Nemo's dad, Albert Brooks. <laughs> and uh, Ed Asner played the... No, uh, he played Tunde Kente in that crossover episode. <laughs> Welcome to Tool Time. Today we have Toby. Come on out, Toby. Kunta Kente. Oh, Ed. It was a ratings disaster. Oh, <laughs> He grows up and gets married to uh, the, the Tara nanny. Reed, yeah, George Tara, Bailey's George Bailey's Tara nanny, Reed, right? Yeah. And then uh, uh, Helen Mirren, she of course played Randy, the oldest son. And then that was Wheezy that was the tool man's no, wife. No, no, right? no. You're you're thinking of um, <laughs> you're thinking of Sarah Jessica Parker. She was. Oh. Yeah. Do you bring her up in every episode? I don't episode? think I've ever brought her up, but I will say that Sarah Jessica Parker is actually played by um, the same uh, uh, horse that played Seabiscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, isn't Sarah Jessica Parker, isn't that the chick from... Uh, uh, what? Oh, it's no, that's from, not the same girl. Uh, Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the chick you're always mentioning from uh, Saved oh, by the Bell? Oh, that's Tiffany Thiessen. Tiffany, Tiffany Listen, Amber Thiessen. I'm, I just call her oh, Tiff Tiff. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, she's played by uh, Denzel Washington. <laughs> Who, as we all know, is his son of yeah, Bill Cosby. He's not, though. Because Bill Cosby isn't a real person, but actually Mel Brooks... And uh, uh, Carl Reiner, they get into a two-person suit and play Bill Cosby. This class closed dried yet in the guardhouse. <laughs> George is actually thinking he's hallucinating, uh, brought on by some tainted whiskey, and he cynically wishes that he'd never been born. And Clarence is more than happy to give George his wish. And Mr. Bailey is transported to an alternate reality where he had never been burned. George, we... You know what? And this this is incredibly dangerous, too, because they screwed this up in Back to the Future. Well, the reason why George Bailey wasn't born yet is because he actually marries his grandma. And his <laughs> grandma gives birth to his dad, which gives birth to him. So George Bailey is actually his own grandfather. That's in an extended scene with uh, Wesley Snipes and Tom Arnold. Yes. Well, I was going to say Tom Berenger. <laughs> no, it's in the director's right. cut. Burt Reynolds. Uh, Burt Reynolds plays the gas station attendant, Squeegee Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Can you picture for just a moment Burt Reynolds is a gas station attendant? 
I don't think our target audience can picture Burt Reynolds as a gas station attendant. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Burt Reynolds? To know if our, Is he related to Ryan? Tar- <laughs> Does our target audience know who Burt Reynolds is? <laughs> he was Smokey and the Bandit. You know, the bear that warned you about... Uh, pew, pew! Th- there was a bear that warned you about forest fire, and he had a, a raccoon sidekick named the Bandit, and he was played by uh, uh, Chris Pine. If Clarence had been like a combination of John Travolta and um, Tom Cruise... I think... Like, wouldn't that have wouldn't that have been better? Like if those were the two angels. Listen, up in what heaven? if Clarence was a c- combination of Tom Cruise and John Goodman from Roseanne? Think about that. <laughs> Think about that. It should just re- they, you know Disney's remaking all the movies. They should just recast this whole thing and do it Perfect. again. Perfect. George begins to notice changes immediately. For starters, it's not snowing in this reality. George notices that he can hear through his left ear, and his lip isn't bleeding. Clarence points out many things uh, were going to be different now. As George and Clarence walk back toward town, they pass the tree that George had hit drunkenly with his car. But the car's gone. There's no gash in the tree. The homeowner stops by, and George asks about the car and the damage to the tree, and the homeowner knows nothing about this, and says... You had me worried. This is the oldest tree in Pottersville. George is confused. Pottersville? Pottersville? That's where my favorite bratwurst are from. <laughs> Pottersville brats. <laughs> they plump when you cook them. <laughs> they flop when you no, cook them. No, they plump. They get all they oh, they're <laughs> George is uh, confused and tries to correct the man. This is at, at Pottersville. This is Bedford Falls. He's like, you're an idiot, George. I don't even know you're George, but you're an idiot. It's been called Pottersville for years. They continue into town, and Martini's Tavern has become a sleazy dive bar, and Mr. Martini is nowhere to be found. <laughs> it's now owned by the bartender Nick. And he's now very nasty and insulting, and he sounds a lot like what you think gangsters sound like in old gangster movies. <laughs> now, see here, what do you want to drink? This here's a shot and beer joint. See? And uh, when a cash register rings, Clarence points out that whenever that happens, it means an angel's earned his wings. <laughs> and Nick's just about done with Clarence. <laughs> he just, just about doesn't want nothing to do with him no more. But before he can deal with that, Mr. Gower comes walking in, and he's homeless and derelict and just plain old mushmouth MacGruber. I just need me a dollar, and I'll go hard. I'm sorry, what did you say? Please take one or two marbles out of your mouth. We cannot understand you. I'm sorry. Uh, I need a dollar, and then I can go home. Why do you say so, Mr. Gower? No, that's not what happens. Of course, yeah, nobody wants this wants this dirty old tramp in their bar. So what do you do? Naturally, it's the 40s. You hit him in the face with some seltzer. Uh, George asks about Mr. Gower. And Nick says that, well, the old pharmacist spent 20 years in prison for poisoning some child in a manslaughter charge. Hmm. 
And if this stranger knows right, Mr. Gower, he must be a convict also. So Nick has George and Clarence thrown out of the tavern. That's right, George. You weren't there. And then uh, as he does this, as he makes the two fly, he does make his cash register ring and says that he's given out angel wings. <laughs> Funny that guy, was, that. That was pretty classy, I thought. Cha-ching! cha cha That sounds like something I would do. I'm just giving out angel wings here. Ching, ching, ching! <laughs> that is something you would do. Clarence explains once again that George does not exist because he wished that he'd never been born. Clarence is like, what aren't you getting about this concept, George? And then George goes, well, come on, Gabriel. Let's go figure this out. To which Clarence responds, but I'm Clarence. And I was like, oh, Clarence, you're so adorable. He is adorable. <laughs> but I'm Clarence. <laughs> Clarence just wants to do well. Uh, George does bring up the fact that if he was never born, but he is alive and interacting with people, then who is he? To which Clarence replies that George is a person with no identity in this alternate reality. George checks his pocket for his wallet and other identification or his life insurance policy, and Clarence points out that they do not exist. For, finally, George checks his watch pocket, and Clarence says they're not there either. Well, what? George asks. Zuzu's pedals. You've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like without you. What? And is that really well, a gift? I, I, I still don't believe it. So, uh, continuing to be in denial of what's going on, George continues to walk downtown without Clarence. Bedford Falls has become Pottersville. It is a dreary, brutish, and perverse place full of bars and sleazy nightclubs. The movie theater, the Emporium Department Store, and the building and loan are gone. Police are everywhere dealing with disorders. George sees the police arrest Violet and take her away from a brothel, which is the former B&L. Now, hold on just a second, because I don't think Violet was too far off from being a prostitute in George's reality. She just didn't get paid for it. Well, yeah, that's George, the only difference. She wasn't right, getting and that paid. makes it okay. George kept her from it. Well, no, it doesn't make it okay, but that's just, you know. George then hails Ernie's taxi cab and asks to be taken home. Ernie has no idea who George is or where he lives. He gives Ernie an address, and Ernie tells him that that is an abandoned house, but he'll take him there anyways. When George asks Ernie about his life, Ernie tells George that his wife left him three years ago, and he now lives alone in a place called Potter's Field. He visually signals for Bert the policeman to follow him. As George searches the house, calling out for his family, Clarence appears again. Bert attempts to arrest them, but Clarence, acting like a tiny chihuahua, intervenes and bites his hand. <laughs> yes, that's what a dog sounds like, Scott. Good job. And then Clarence vanishes, allowing George to escape. George then goes to his mother's house, which has become a broken-down boarding house called My Bailey's Boarding House. She opens the front door. I, I, I didn't want to say it like that's kind of offensive, but that's how it was written, the font. Um, she opens the front door, but she does not recognize him and tells him to leave. 
George mentions Uncle Billy, and she says that he has been in an insane asylum since the BNL went out of business many years ago. When, to be fair, Uncle Billy probably should have been there in George's reality too. But <laughs> yeah, but George was George was keeping I mean, what's him safe. And, right. and so what's was losing eight thousand dollars a month? George kept all these people. George kept all these people from going over the edge, right? Um, she didn't recognize him. Oh, wait. Skipped a paragraph. That's okay. Keep going. <laughs> Shut up. I'm doing my Skip. best here. <laughs> Skip two more Still if you want. in denial of what is happening. George then goes with Clarence to Martini's house in Bailey's Park. There's no such place. It's a wasteland with a cemetery. Clarence points out a grave of Harry Bailey. Clarence says your brother Haley Berry broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport, says George. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save him. Because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. And then Clarence looked at the t- television screen and said, See, I said it. That's why it's called it. Now you know. <laughs> <laughs> And he gave him a little two-finger point. <laughs> Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? George then asks to see Mary. Clarence says that she never married, but works at the library. You know, like all librarians, they're bitter and old and unmarried. <laughs> That's the truth. George goes there, but she doesn't recognize him. So he tries to force her to hug him, because that'll work. <laughs> Kids, if you're ever on the street and you run into a woman who doesn't recognize you, don't hug her. Just let her go. <laughs> Just let her go her way. Just don't her hug go. her. But that's not what George did. He tries to embrace her. She screams and runs into a nightclub. He runs after her, but is confronted by a crowd of uh, many people he, he knew from his previous life. But they, of course, have no recognition of this wild man. They never met him before in this reality. Finally, aware of what is happening, George calls out for Clarence as the police intervene. George punches Bert right in his stupid face and runs away. Bert then pulls out a gun in a crowded street and then just starts firing at every direction but at George. (laughs) <laughs> like, like there was like 50 people in the street and he's just firing everywhere but at george yeah <laughs> thankfully nobody gets hit uh but then pursues after george's squad car george runs to the bridge where he had been about to jump and calls out help me clarence please please i want to live again <laughs> now he's fighting to live no longer praying to die but he's fighting to live and that's half the battle. He calls God to bring him back. With that plea, the alternate universe suddenly ends. It's snowing once again. Bert arrives in his police car and calls out to George that he's been looking for him. Since seeing his car plowed into the tree. He also points out that George's lip is bleeding. But George is just so very happy to hear that he's bleeding from the lip and that Bert knows him and he checks his watch pockets and he sees some rose petals there and George is just ecstatic. He runs into town, which is once again Bedford Falls, and has all its familiar institutions. 
which he greets with unbounded joy. He even wishes Mr. Potter a Merry Christmas, who sarcastically wishes him a Happy New Year in jail, considering the authorities are waiting for him at home. <laughs> George arrives at home knowing that he will likely be arrested for bank fraud. Matter of fact, he walks in there, and the sheriff's there. He goes, uh, uh, George, we have a warrant for your arrest. And George goes, I know. Isn't it wonderful? Um <laughs> It's all perspective, Zach. It's all That's perspective. Right. Uh, but yeah, he, he's home. The officials are there, ready to take him in. However, George is just so very happy that he's <laughs> going to be arrested, especially since his children are there also. And they all have a joyful reunion, which I got to think must have been really confusing for these kids because he's been gone, what, maybe half an hour? George. Mary comes home along with uh, a whole bunch of people led by Unky, Uncle Bill. Unky. Led by Unky Billy. <laughs> Led by Uncle Billy. <laughs> Contrary to Mr. Potter's claim that they would hate him for losing their money, it turned out that when word got around that George was in financial trouble, the townspeople were just super happy. They passed the collection plate around, and they uh, contributed whatever they could provide. Dozens of people arrived with a whole laundry basket just full of quiche, jewelry, and other valuables. A telegram arrives from Sam, who's over in Europe, saying that he was contacted by Mr. Gower about the situation, and he would advance up to $25,000 to cover the debt on the, uh, 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 on the building and loans. At this, the bank examiner uh, are also moved to show their support, and they give money to George. And then even the police officer tears up the arrest warrant with a smile because that's how that works. And suddenly... <laughs> You get some money. Well, you no, get some money. No, my point is, a cop can't just come up to you with a warrant for your arrest signed by a judge and just go, never mind. Hey, it's better than false or smooth. It's, it's, go through yeah, a few small more it's like, channels. It's like uh, Mayberry. It's like Mayberry where Andy Griffith is the judge and, and the, the executioner. <laughs> I know the judge. I'll, I'll smooth this over tomorrow. <laughs> and then, uh, so the... Warrants all torn up, and suddenly Harry arrives from New York, having immediately left his award uh, banquet upon hearing that his brother needed his support, and toasts to my big brother George, the richest man in town. And in the last scene, the whole crowd sings, Hark the Herald Angel Sings, and Auld Lang Syne, and George finds a copy of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer with a brief handwritten note on the inner pages inside, the, the, the co- or inside his coat pocket, and it reads, Dear George, remember... No man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings. Love, Clarence. Mm. When Mary asks who mm. Clarence is, George is well aware that she never believed that a, a wingless second-class angel came and saved him. And he just says that it's a Christmas present from a very dear friend. And at that moment, the bell on the Christmas string rings, and Zuzu says, Look, Daddy. Teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. And man, I'd like to go back to those days where those that was taught in school. George says, uh, that's right. That's right. And glancing he- heavenward, he goes, had a boy, Clarence. And then there's a <laughs> post-credit scene where Mr. Potter gets arrested for stealing $8,000. Oh, wait, no, that's never addressed. Yeah, that's a problem. And why didn't <laughs> that dirty scoundrel rant I just what how can you be that you dishonest? Know that the FBI opened up an investigation on this movie because uh of these um uh, of the supposed communist uh 
teachings that this movie was talking about, about how the banks were evil <laughs> and terrible men, while uh, the little guys were handing out money to people who wouldn't normally be able to receive a loan, uh, were considered the heroes. Never mind. Wow. So well, they found that. Oh, wait, Mr. Potter stole $8,000, and that's why he's considered an evil man. And maybe you should just shut up, Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> Stick to inventing your, your vacuum cleaners. Hoover. Hoover. Wait till we get the next FBI director in. Yeah. Rainbow. And after that, we're going to have uh, Dyson. <laughs> the dirt devil. And then, <laughs> and then John Travolta. And then dirt devil's going to come in there. <laughs> and then followed by Dustbuster and Shopvac. Uh, uh, this show may have reached a point it's never uh, been to before. You know, we were doing so good for so many episodes. We had to have a setback. I just wish it wasn't the one that is uh, the most popular movie we've ever done. Yeah, the class, the classic movie. There's not really anything you can like bash on this I movie. Mean, I mean, I just found like... a pretty good giant thing you can bash on this movie. What, the fact that Potter never it's got arrested? It's never addressed that he stole eight grand. <laughs> well, nobody knows it. I think it, it. the lesson is like, look, this guy's going to be scum over in his corner, but he doesn't have any of the Listen, love, because guess who Potter's spending Christmas with? Children, nobody. here's your message. If you steal eight grand from a small financial institution, nobody's going to care. Merry Christmas! The The lesson is that they're not going to win lesson is the we have talked about this movie almost as long as we've talked about the Ten Commandments, and how is that possible? <laughs> Because we were just trying to figure it out. <sighs> it's a classic, though. It is a classic. Arr. And in the end, George Bailey not only helps all those people that were in Bedford Falls, he helped a soul that was out of this world. I like to think... What an impact. I like to think that George Bailey touched every person in that town. And every person in that town touched George Bailey. <laughs> Uh, Scott, what's your rating? Nine, nine point five. This is a classic. I love this movie. I watch it every year. Nine point nine point five. Man, it's a, it's a classic. This is the true classic Christmas movie, unlike A Christmas Story, which is devilish and devilish and ungodly. Well, I think it's it's relatable for a lot of people too, though, because like I can even there was a time in my twenties, like mid twenties, where I was like, I'm gonna end up like George Bailey because I had wanted to do mission work since I was like twenty, and there had been all these different things that. What is that? <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to give a bunch of angels wings. But yeah, I think there's a lot of people. There's a lot of normal people that relate to it, and um, I'm gonna give it a. I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10 because I like Christmas. So I think it's a 9.66. Ooh, that's got to be All right. We'll just round it up to a 10. Well, there you go. It's a Wonderful Life has a wonderful rating of a 10. Oh, hold up. That's not right. That's not right. This just in, folks. This just in. Uh Uh-huh. 
It's a 9.33. Oh, look at that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was mistaken. And uh, uh, the votes have been recast and counted again. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that's true. It's Wonderful Life was just downgraded from a perfect 10 to a 9. But that's okay. That's all right. Still respectable. Still great. 9. There you go. Now, uh, our, our next series, thankfully we are done with Christmas movies, but our next series is called Ringing in the New Year Wrong. We are going to watch panned movies, faith-based movies, getting back to our roots. And the first movie we are going to watch uh, is going to be kind of a surprise to my two co-hosts because it wasn't on the original list, but I figured we've been Uh-oh. putting this movie off for, for too long. We finished The Chosen a long, long time ago. And I think it is time that we put the 2018 historical drama starring Joaquin Phoenix and Rooney Mara as Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene through Rotten or Righteous's uh, Gauntlet. Gauntlet. And so next week we we are going to be reviewing the 2018 film Mary Magdalene. Mary. You brought shame on our family. There's something unnatural inside you. Your family says you grapple with the demon. If there's a demon in me, it's always been there. There are no demons here. Mary of Magdala? She will do God's will. Why shouldn't she follow me? People will judge us. Are we so different from men? You must teach us different things. (laughs) Sometimes it's as if I'm not here at all. Is that what it feels like to be one with God? No one has ever asked me how it feels. The women are too afraid to be baptized with the men. Go to them. Be in my hands. It's not right that he has raised you up to lead us. You love my son, don't you? You must prepare yourself like me. For what? To lose him. God's kingdom is not to be bought and sold! We need to take him away from here. Whatever happens now, it's what God has asked of him. Mary, you are my witness. I'll be with you to the end. Never speak again in his name. The world will only change as we change. I will not be silent. I will be heard. Well, it didn't look as bad yeah, as I thought. Kind of looks depressing. Yeah. Everything's in like it's like they a desaturated like they the, world. The sad frame for Battlefield Earth. I'm anxious to watch it. For now, that's that's gonna that's gonna do it for us. Uh, for Ron Righteous, I'm Zach Geiler. I'm Scott Judge. Uh, Mr. Potter. <laughs> he's 
he's Luke Luke Taylor. Um, the future Mister Potter. Okay. Uh. Uh. Yeah. But uh, remember, you know, say your prayers, obey your parents, all that good stuff. And uh, real quick before we go, if you need a fact about an octopus, love, 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 Luke Taylor. Did you know that uh, octopus don't have bones? You have literally used that fact already. No, I have not. I said that they had uh, nine hearts. I have not used that they don't have any bones. Okay. That's how they slither through little pipes and tiny holes and swim around in the ocean like jello. Hey, Luke. Don't you wish you could do that? That was a fact about an octopus. Blah, 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 blah. Luke Taylor. Do you know why it's so expensive to buy clothes if you're an octopus? (laughs) No. Why? Why? Because, you know, those 16 pairs of, um, you know, when you buy the socks and there's 16 pairs. Well, that's only two pairs for an octopus. Um, That was a fact about an octopus. Blah, 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 blah. Luke Taylor. All right, Luke, buddy, I just want to let you know that despite everything that we say on this podcast, the last thing that I want to do is hurt you. Really? Yeah, but it's still on the list. (laughs) Good night, everybody! Breaking news, breaking news. George Bailey is now in prison after sexually harassing young uh, Mary Hatch. After uh, exposing Mary Hatch to the public and refusing to give her back her garment, George continued to parade around her, making her feel uncomfortable. He's just a dirty little perv. I'm not a perv. Here, let's listen to George. Excuse me, to rest. You can't do this to me. Mary, Mary, tell him I wasn't made a perv. Mary, don't tell him I wasn't. And uh, as always, my questions are such deep thinking. Please, questions. Scott, regale, you, regale us with your question, old wise one. I wonder. Oh boy! If this. He's wondering. Get ready, folks. It's gonna be a good one. Oh man, he's building this... up the suspense. What's he gonna say? What is Scott gonna ask this time? I can hardly wait. Ooh, ooh. Are you gonna wonder again? <laughs> Are you going to wonder? Okay, no, good. I'm He's not. not wondering no more. I, actually, I'm done asking questions. I'm going to make a statement. This crow is the crow that Red released in Shawshank Redemption. He did it. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott's second comment allowed in the podcast tonight. <laughs> good job, Scott. <laughs> Woo! You built that up and you didn't disappoint.